Live. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode three of The Rally Call. I am John Feldman. And I'm Andrew Smith, and we're coming at you from beautiful West Vancouver, British Columbia. And we're going to kick it off today. We had some really good feedback from the first couple of episodes of the show. And I'm going to start off with two questions that we got. And I really like this question because it, it, it appears that people are starting to think about this. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, what should you absolutely avoid doing in a corporate culture? It's a long list of things you got to avoid doing, but if I could give one piece of advice, and I have given this piece of advice to a lot of people, is take a good look at Robert Greene's first law of power, which says, never outshine the master. And I see people get into trouble with their managers uh, at, at all points in their career by breaking this rule, but especially it's important at the uh, the beginning of your career. And the reason it's imp- people have trouble understanding this is because they think that their manager, maybe they know more than them, they're more experienced than them, and they have, they're more virtuous than they actually are. People forget that their manager is insecure, envious, and egotistical. And they are that way because everybody's that way, right? And that's not to say that they're bad people. It's just that these are human traits that you have to be aware of in, a, in an environment like that. And if you're aware of them, you're not going to make this mistake. So maybe you could give a definition of, of what, what the first law of power is. Okay. So never outshine the master. If you look better than your boss, if you come up with better ideas and perform at a level that causes them to be insecure, they will find a way to punish you. Not right then and there, but they will, it will come out in some way. They will shunt you off in another direction. They will come down hard on you for minor transgressions. And you might, and you'll be surprised. Why? Why? I'm just trying to do a good job. I'm just trying to showcase the great work that I'm doing. But if you are making them look weak or insecure and you play upon their insecurities and ego, egotism, you will pay a price for that. Guaranteed. Yeah. When doing some, uh, doing some research for this week's show, I actually did, uh, read several articles on this and I, and I loved what the definition was, what they called the golden rule of this, which was you make sure your uplines appear more brilliant than they are and you will attain the highest heights do the opposite and you will likely be marked for replacement. Most people will find a way to make life difficult for you yeah. if you inadvertently make them look bad. Fear and insecurity, it's a, it's a human trait, right? You got to be aware of it. Yeah. And I've seen this over and over again. I can give you an example. When, when I first started at Crystal, there was a whole bunch of managers that had been put in place with not a lot of experience. And, and frankly, we're really just friends of the existing manager. So they got promoted into management and I and a bunch of new guys came in and, and we were the next crop of inside sales reps. One of the guys that I associated with was a brilliant salesperson, fantastic at persuasion. He was charismatic. People wanted to be around him. And he started to have a lot of influence over everybody else on the team. And one thing he did that was a huge mistake was he he performed too well and showcased his work around the company to the his boss's boss to the VP of sales to other people and he became a person of influence that 
illustrated the gap in skills that the management team had. He was a way better salesperson than any of these managers could hope to be. So there wasn't a lot that the managers could do for him in terms of improving his performance. And so that made them feel threatened, right? So this guy, as good as he is, he's a threat to their security He's because he makes them look weak and he makes them look bad. That's what they're thinking in their minds is, yeah, he's great, but look at him talking about how great he, he was on this deal and he's explaining it to the VP sales and they're thinking, wow, we should have more guys like this. And all his managers thinking is, you're making me look bad and I need to find a way to, to sidetrack you, right? And so that is what happened with him. He got marked as, he's a troublemaker, don't associate with him. And he, he was eventually run out of the organization. Yeah, I remember the story. And what's interesting is he was also very career orientated uh, as well and very capable, but just did it in just did it in the wrong way. Instead of working with their manager, they worked through the manager and it eventually it eventually turned into that fear and security that you talked about. Yeah. So he, he had this idea that as long as I perform well, I sell, I, I outperform my peers, I'll be good. But what he didn't understand was his managers had a a a plan, a program, they had an agenda that was easy to see because they openly shared it. He didn't find a way to fit in with that agenda and help drive it. He thought, well, I'm going to just perform well at an individual level and I'm not going to care about your agenda, right? Mm-hmm. So they wanted to create a certain vibe, certain culture on the team. And he bucked that trend. He was great, great performer, but they found whatever excuse they could find to sidetrack him. Yeah. And that's, it's a, it is a, it's a great reminder. And if you haven't read the book, pick up the book. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And this, like to, to go to our next question, I thought this was very good too, is, uh, I think we mentioned on, on, uh, one of our episodes that, you know, university degrees were becoming less of a requirement in this industry, correct? Yeah. So the question I got was, uh, if you want to go into sales and university is not really a requirement, what, what do you suggest? What do I do? How do I get, how do I prepare myself? And, uh, in thinking about this, I want to share what's, what, uh, what has worked for a lot of people is number one, focus on increasing your business acumen, really understand how an organization or a business works. And you can do this, uh, every city or every state has a, a two year business diploma through a, through a, a school here in Vancouver, we have BCIT. There's a two-year course called Marketing Management that actually allows you to specialize in a course in, uh, in sales at the end. So you do a year of generalization and then you do a year of, of sales. And what's interesting is a lot of the people uh, come right out of high school and they go into this course. And I, can, I know many successful salespeople who have started there and transitioned into their careers in, uh, into sales. And I'll, and I'll share one with you. This, was, uh, this is one of uh, my favorite stories. I first, uh, I first met her. She was uh, an SDR at, uh, at a company that I was working for, and she wanted to meet me. She was, uh, she was actually an intern at BCIT, and she wanted to meet me. And the first thing she says to me is she says, I want to be a salesperson. This is all I've ever wanted to do. True story. Uh, this is all I've ever wanted to do. I want to become uh, the best that I can be, and this is what my career thing. And I said to her, so what's, what's the motivation? Funny enough, it was kind of a, uh, an interesting answer. She says, um, 
I think that I would be excellent at it. I've got excellent trades and uh, I want to buy my brother a really nice watch when I get my first big commission check, which was like, you know, uh, uh, an adamant thing to say. Like it was very admirable that she said that. Long story short, this is probably four or five years ago. She is one kick-ass sales rep now. Multiple President's Club, does very well for herself, and it's a perfect example of where one of these two-year courses at whatever school it is here in Vancouver, we have BCIT, and they're, they're flourishing. And she's just one of, uh, one of a number of examples that we see out there of people who come from a course like this. And they, uh, you know, they kick ass. They do great things. So it was a great question. But if you're really thinking about doing this, go and find a really good two-year course that's going to prepare you for business acumen and teach you some basic, uh, some basic sales skills. Yeah, the university question or the university degree. I think it, you don't really get a sales education in university. You can get an education on a, a variety of topics. Hey, I did political science. What did you do, John? Uh, you know what, Andrew? I was also political science. There you go. Minor in sociology. Yeah, wow. So yeah. useful, right? So it's funny that when we started in tech in the late 90s, everybody had a university degree, but had also gone back to school to get some kind of technical degree, right? I think we were the last people to graduate in the early 90s with a, a general arts degree and think that it was going to translate into something, right? And And what I think it it is today. I, I don't hold it against someone, obviously, if they've, they've got a university education when hiring. It's really just a signifier that you committed to something over a couple of, over three, four years to complete it, and you completed it. And, and that's really all it signifies, is the, lego, the level of rigor that you can bring to something. But I would definitely favor having a sales-specific two-year diploma than having a three- or four-year general arts degree or, or even an engineering degree. Yeah, like knowing how to, uh, the, uh, the Senate worked in Canada was not very beneficial for me in selling, although it did make a good icebreaker. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about that, but I don't think it's worth ten to 15000 bucks to, a year to pay for that. I would agree. I yeah. would agree. Um, we're going to transition. We're going to talk about um, optics. Optics in the workplace. Now, optics are super, super important. And uh, whether you're young or you're old or you're in this industry for a while, sometimes you forget it. But optics for me are super important. And uh, I'm going to tell you my, my first uh, or one of my first uh, um, exposures to optics. So it was at a kickoff in, uh, in Las Vegas. And they paired me up with like the big cheese, the big seller. And when I say paired up, like we had to room together. It was it was a bit a bit daunting for me, but um, he did was, you have one bed or two beds, John? It was uh, it was two uh, uh, two doubles or it was two queens, but there was definitely a night table between us. And uh, it was SKO, and I'm in my room, and I I meet him for the first time, and I'm I'm like I'm intimidated, right? Because everybody knows who this is. He's like the you know he's the the quota killer every year. And anyway, long story short, uh, they always have the, the introductory drinks, you know, the welcome reception. And what happens is usually the welcome reception turns into a little bit of, uh, of fun. And anyway, I, I get home at like 2.30 in the morning and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Things are good. And about two hours later, 4, 4.30 in the morning, he walks in 
and and you could tell that he had he had tied one on. And earlier in the evening, he's talking to all of the big execs and the big wigs because they all know him. And he comes in two and a half hours after me. And um, in, so he uh, comes in at five a.m. He's four thirty-five a.m. And I'm thinking to myself, like, there's no way this guy's getting up for the ridiculous seven thirty morning breakfast kickoff before the keynote. Anyway, uh, I wake up. He's gone. Nowhere to be seen. And I don't know whether he went out again or what he's doing. Anyway, so I, I, I roll down, managed to make myself look pretty good. But I'm, you know, a couple minutes late and, and I see him and uh, he looks tight. He's showered. He's fresh. The hair looks great. And I walk over to him and he goes, listen, kid, you can do anything you want the night before within reason. But the next day, you're the first person at the breakfast. So when the execs walk in, they see you. And I just went like master. Like yeah. that was my first exposure to like, hey, like there's a there's a game within a game. Yeah. And uh, and he taught me a lesson there. And that lesson has stuck with me for 20 years. It's like you got to show up, do whatever you want to do, party and all have that fun. But when it's business time, you're front row and you're looking tight. Yeah. Yeah. Optics. Let's take a little second here to talk about what we mean by optics. It is the impression that other people get about you. And, and they're, make, they're forming an impression about you from the moment you walk in on the first day, right? Who is this guy? What's, or the, who is this man or woman? What are they about? Are they going to help or are they going to hurt? Are they going to make it or not? And humans are looking for shortcuts to make that impression, right? They don't want to sit down and interview you for two hours to figure out who you are. They're looking for a shortcut. What are you wearing? Did you show up on time? What kind of questions do you ask? What kind of habits do you have, right? And you need to put across the best impression of yourself that's possible. So there's, there's a, I, I have a maxim, I think, I think Charlie, uh, that I stole from Charlie Munger. It's not about being brilliant, it's about avoiding stupidity. You don't have to be brilliant and make the best impression all the time. You just have to avoid things that are stupid and cause a bad impression, right? And there's a million of them that you can do that will get people off your back and think, okay, this guy has it together. This person is a, has got good habits. And when the eventual downturn happens in their business cycle, we'll cut them some slack, right? But if you're the one who never updates Salesforce or your CRM, is always late, uh, is absent infrequently with no explanation. If you don't have good hygiene, they're not going to cut you slack, right? So, John, what are some of the things that are the easy wins you can do to create good optics for the people who can influence your career at your organization? Yeah, and there's a couple of things there. There's two parts. There's micro-optics and there's big event optics, right? And the micro-optics are really your day-to-day elements that uh, that want that you should be using to, to manage your uh, how people view you uh, because you want to give the impression that you're following strategy and that you're competent. Like that's, that's ultimately how you want to make people feel in this business, right? And like the easiest one, the most simplest one, this thing will give you, will give you so much kudos is, and it's crazy because it's the one people hate the most, right? But, but it's the easiest. But it's the easiest. Keep your Salesforce clean, 
right? Keep it clean and tight so your manager doesn't have to go to you and say, dude, the last time you updated that deal was three months ago and it's 400 days old. On an average uh, sales cycle of, uh, of 30 days, you know, the body's starting to stink. So take 15 or 20 minutes every Friday and, and, and make it clean and make your manager look good. That's the whole idea in this easiest freaking optic out there. And it's the one that drives me crazy that I still to this day have to send people a slack and go, um, you know, a 600 day sales cycle is, uh, is, uh, is not our target audience. So like, do you think the body's dead? Oh yeah. I'll get rid of that right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we know why people don't do that. They don't want to admit, they don't want to admit that the body's dead, right? I, I there's still a chance this deal can happen and I, I don't want to admit uh, that is never going to happen, right? And I had a, a funny story about updating Salesforce. I, I was a manager who would be asking people, hey, can you, what's happening with this deal? What's happening with that deal? And I had one rep out of 15 at the time who kept Salesforce spotless. And he would get so angry with me when I would ask him about it because he would say, it's in the notes. Did you bother to read the notes before you asked me this question? Why do you come to me and ask me these questions? It's all in Salesforce. I did what you asked me to do. And I felt really sheepish about it. Like, well, yeah, you're right. Um, here I am enforcing bad habits. It would be easier for him to not do the notes and just update me in a conversation. But so managers can, can contribute to this problem too. Yeah. Right. It, so that's enough. an easy one. What's, what's another one that's going to help you? Uh, well, the big event optics for me is the big one. And yeah. if you think about big event optics, like, Maybe maybe you have to set up a senior leader on an executive uh, call with uh, with your client or with uh, with your prospect, and some people get nervous about this, right? It's like, oh, well, we're going to have the uh, senior executive talk to my prospect. I mean, the deal better close. I better have this tight. But it's the opposite. This is a great moment for you. This is a great career moment for you. You get to show, right, what you're made of. And maybe it's uh, in a situation where you're presenting it on all hands and they say, hey, you did a great job. Would you mind speaking it on all hands? Right. And people freeze, but you shouldn't. You got to take those opportunities. Those are golden opportunities for a manager. It is the equivalent to watching their credit, their kid at the Christmas pageant. Right. Don't fall down. Don't trip over the cables. Right. Don't stare at mommy and wave. Do a really, really good job. And you make you look good. And you make your manager look good. It's a proud moment because if you got a good manager, they will recognize that it's a really important moment for you and they will help you make the most of it. So if you're in this opportunity, and funny enough, I'm preparing for uh, preparing a rep uh, for one next week and uh, puts together a fantastic deck. Here's the, here's the briefing on the opportunity. Here's the briefing on the person that you're going to be talking to. Here's what they care about. Here's what matters. Here's deal size. And it's tight. And it makes her look really, really good. And it's proud uh, for her manager. And it's proud for me to have this moment to be able to say, hey, this is what I'm capable of. So I, I, I enjoy these things. But for people out there, like do your homework and do a really, really good job because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's your moment to shine. I've also seen the opposite where people take these moments and they crash and burn because they don't understand that it's a, it's a moment for them to be able to portray what they're capable of. Right. And they don't prepare. And you're just like, it's, it's head shaking. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a close to home bad story about that. I, uh, I, when I was a seller at a big enterprise hardware vendor, we had, a our largest customer or my largest customer 
was dissatisfied with a lot of our policies about how we were going to continue supporting their products that they had that were aging. And I brought in the country manager into, uh, into meet with the, this, the chief information officer at this company. I didn't adequately prepare the country manager for how angry and um, how angry these people could be about what we were doing. And so we went to this fancy steakhouse for lunch and uh, brought the, in the country manager to meet the CIO. And he proceeded to go on a tirade for about 10 minutes about how much he hated our company and he would never buy from us again and, and threatened if he didn't do what I want, I'll never buy your stuff again. And made the country manager really uncomfortable. And that was pretty much the end of my career at that company. <laughs> I mean, no word of a lie. Right after that meeting, I started to feel pressure from everywhere. And I thought, okay, this is, this is the end of my run here. So, I mean, I don't know what I could have done differently to, to change the customer to be happier, but I could have prepared him for how angry they were and how, frankly, odd this CIO could be as a, you know, his personality. But he was taken by surprise. He was supposed to come in as the, the, the big executive to solve all the problems, and he was made to look foolish. And I paid the price for that. Yeah. Yeah. So did they, uh, the customer asked you to bring in the country manager for this meeting, correct? No, the country manager wanted to be brought in because we wanted to sell a lot more gear to this customer and they were resisting it. And it was perceived that I wasn't able to get the job done, so the country manager wanted to come in. And we want to have a relationship with the country manager and executives at all our top customers. So I arranged it, and uh, yeah, it went haywire. Yeah, and and I, whenever I pass that uh, that restaurant, it's a famous steakhouse in Vancouver called Highs. Mm -hmm. Every time I walk by Highs, I think of that meeting that day. Yeah, I, that's uh, that that's a tough one to avoid when you have the the super angry customer talking to the big exec and you're just like caught in the middle because you know it, that that happens in in uh, in uh, in different sales organizations where where the senior leadership like comes into town like I want to talk to ten customers in ten days uh, who can who can make that happen and you're kind of like. You know, I, I used to see everybody running around going like, oh, like, who can I get them to talk to? And it's, it's mm -hmm. rather than like thinking about like, like who should I talk to? It's more of like, I need to talk to them. Yeah. And you feel this immense pressure to put them in a room with somebody. And I know that's not the situation yeah. here, but I never kind of, I never understood that though. Yeah, I didn't either. So we would get noticed that, hey, the country manager's coming, go out and like literally the word would be fill his calendar. Yeah. So fill it with whatever. And so we would try and jam meetings with with anyone right and and if you couldn't get the the top executive you get the lower executive or and then you would get the it manager and generally these were a waste of time because if you didn't have a peer-to-peer -peer sort of ratio of power then the the lower level it person is feeling pressured by this big executive in his uh, his armani suit talking high level concepts about how they need to spend more money yeah it, it I don't get it either. I think it's it's um, they execs want to know or executive sales want to know that you can get the meetings for them, right? You can get meetings with influential people and allow them to do uh, to do their thing. 
So we talked about things like hygiene and mm. preparation. There's another uh, con- contributor to the optics, how you perceive that I think is most important, and that's your attitude. And, and specifically, like for me, it's how you respond to negative situations, how you respond to losing a deal, how you respond to having a rough patch or a rough quarter. A lot of people, it, for me, if you, if you lose a deal and you blame something else, you blame the competition, you don't look inward first to think about what you could have done differently, that's a big red flag for me, right? And, and if you go through a bad period, which everyone has, right? You go through a bad month or bad quarter, whatever, however you want to measure it, you got to keep moving forward. And if you display an attitude that is about entitlement, right? Like I deserve better or the problem is the product or the pre-sales screwed up the demo or whatever excuse without first identifying what you can do, that's a huge red flag. And that is something that has to be corrected before I think you can advance in sales. Yeah, attitude is everything. 100% attitude is everything. And we had the pleasure of listening to, uh, to Jim Abbott. And for those of you who don't know who Jim Abbott is, Jim Abbott is a, was a professional Major League Baseball player, played for the Yankees, pitched a no-hitter at Yankee Stadium. Uh, what you may not know about Jim Abbott is that he had one hand. So I say to people, it's like, if this guy has the attitude, right, and the mindset to be able to pitch a no-hitter at Yankee Stadium with one hand, like, you've got to have the attitude that you can be successful too, right? Like, the, the, the mindset and the attitude to be able to come in every day and be able to show your resiliency and, and, and frankly, your accountability, for me, is huge. But like when you get into that rut, and we all do, like we're humans and sometimes you get in a rut and things are down and it's like, you know, the, the past three quarters were great. The past two have sucked and you're, you know, you go to that dark place. It's like, you got to come out of it. It's actually quite like my golf game is like first six holes were good. I had a two crappy ones and I was in that mindset and I had to reset, right? I had to reset to what yeah. was going well. And you got to have that mental attitude to reset. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing about the sales career is it's, 90% rejection, right? Like I'll give you a, a personal example. Just this week, I spent I spent the whole week trying to advance a couple of partnership opportunities that I'm working on. And it's no's and rejections and one more layer of problems after another for four days. And I'm pulling my hair out and getting really discouraged and what keeps me going is, well, eventually I'll solve the problem. And it's, it's so painful to try and navigate big organizations and, and get to the people that you need to make the decision that you want. And then you finally get the answer and the pleasure lasts about 10 minutes. And then you realize, as I realized, that's the job. It's 90% rejection and tedious work to get that 10% of success. And that's what you, you have to have that attitude that can plow through the rejection and, and, and keep your head up. Look, we're going to wrap today, but I, I want to share with the audience that, uh, that we have an email address. And if anybody wants to send us a question or comments, uh, it's, uh, the rally call at gmail.com. Once again, it's the spelt the rally R A L L Y C A L L at gmail.com.
All right. It's been a slice, and we will see all you sales savages next time. Thanks for joining in.